from 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News coming to you from Money 2020. This week, Fabric raises $40 million from backers, including MasterCard. Lunicity launches AI compliance co-pilot. And what have been the highlights and the lowlights of this year's conference? We'll get into this and so much more. But first, a few brief messages. Back shortly. Hello, lovely listeners. We just wanted to let you know that Global Processing Services, otherwise known as GPS, the payments platform trusted by the leading issuers to process billions of transactions a year, have changed their name to Thread. Why Thread? Well, Thread, because their tailored payment processing solutions are the thread that connects payments innovators of the future. Thread, because they are a true partner, becoming part of the fabric of your business as it grows. And Thread, because, well, it just feels right. Find out more at thread.com. That's T-H-R-E-D-D.com. Thread, weaving payments magic. 11FS has been voted Consultancy of the Year at the British Bank Awards for a fourth time. We are super excited about bringing home the trophy, and it means more knowing that it is our clients that are the ones who voted for us. Digital financial services may only be 1% finished, but we're working with banks, fintechs, and everybody in between to chip away at the 99% still to go. And moments like this really tell us that we're on the right track. If you want to work with an award-winning team to build game-changing propositions, then let's chat. 11FS Ventures is home to industry experts across embedded finance, customer experience, digital strategy, bank building, and so much more. Kickstart your next project today and visit 11FS.com forward slash ventures. That's 11FS.com forward slash ventures. Welcome to episode 748 of Fintech Insider, coming to you from inside the Money Pop podcast stage at Money 2020 here in Amsterdam. I'm David Greer, Group CEO at 11FS, and I'm joined this week on Fintech Insider News by some super duper awesome guests to break down this week's biggest stories in fintech and financial services. First is a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Jimmy Fong, who is the CCO over at Sion. How's it going, Jimmy? Good to have you back. Yeah, great to be back. Thanks, David. Busy, busy week. Um, yeah, it has been predictably, right? <laughs> it really has been. I, I feel like uh, no, ma- no amount of uh, caffeine has, uh, has, got, <laughs> has got me through all of the, the long days and everything that's there. But for anybody who doesn't know you or know your company, give us a bit of background. Yeah, sure. Um, so, Seon, uh, we're a, a venture-backed Series B um, a stage company. Uh, what we do is we help online business with uh, fraud detection. So all the way from people signing up, telling you if they're good or bad, uh, right through to end of life cycle and having a complete view of whether they are doing sketchy stuff on your platform. So customers include people like Revolut, Wise, Dubank, um, uh, Airlines, KLM, Air France. Uh, so we help all industries. Uh, our kind of mission vision is to try and give cutting edge risk tech to all businesses um, and as fast as possible, uh, done in an invisible way uh, for the consumer. Very nice. What's what's the what's CCO? Because people, I mean, chief chief customer, <laughs> chief commercial. What's the what's the uh, what's the second C? Yeah, they really they really added the second C to many meanings nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> commercial uh, commercial officer. There we go. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, great to have you back on the show, uh, Katrina. W- welcome to the show, Katrina Beckwith, uh, VP of Sales Business Development over at Episode Six. Uh, for big international audience, tell us more about Episode Six. I know you guys from some of the bits and pieces that we've done at Eleven FS, but for anybody who doesn't know, what do you guys do? Well, firstly, hello and thank you. So episode six, we're a global company. We work with banks and fintechs around the world. We offer our payment platform technology to to them to enable them to launch super innovative, um, unrivaled uh, uh, modern payment products to the market. So we work with great companies around the world like HSBC in Hong Kong. Um, who are offering peer-to-peer payments to 2.7 million registered users. Really great use case using our ledger and payment processing right through to Japan Airlines um, in Japan, who unbeknownst to many are a, a digital bank and they have 25 million registered users using our platform with their multi-currency digital wallets and cards, MasterCard attached to that. So we're doing some great things for clients around the world. 
Very cool. I mean, doing payments rails in so many different geographies, that's a, that's a real challenge, isn't it? It's, uh, it ain't the same everywhere, is it? Absolutely not. And we, of course, uh, maintain our technology to be compliant in all of the countries that we're working in. Um, but there are a lot of common needs that we're finding, you know, not least uh, the need to shake off um, legacy and actually be able to introduce modern, modern products to market. Very cool. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and finally, we have another Fintech Insider debut t- today. We have Paolo Zaccardi, who is the co-founder and CEO over at Fabric. Welcome to the show, Paolo. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me here. Well, uh, Fabric is an open banking platform that combines open banking services and payments together natively. That's a very big difference from other players. So in practice, we orchestrate many kinds of services, trying to create embedded final solution for the final uh, customers. And we do it in the B2B space, so working with large corporations, in particular in retail, insurance, automotive, trying to create and integrate financial services into the customer journey of their customers. That's very very hot at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I feel like we should almost just get into the news and pick that up, up a little bit more because I mean, the first story is you guys. Oh. So it's like, it's, it's handy that we have you here, which is uh, fortuitous. But Open Finance Fintech Fabric rages, ra- raises, man, that was more difficult to say than again than I thought it would be. Th- third day of money 2020, guys, <laughs> like, give me a break. Uh, 40 million euros expanding its partnership with MasterCard. So, I mean, you talked a lot there about uh, I mean, obviously, payments and everything from a assistance perspective is moving further, further and up the stack, uh, you know, integrating capability really where the problem is. But I guess the the question that everybody will have on their uh, their, their sort of lips is, so what are you going to do with all the money? What's that? Where's that going? Well, we, we started in Italy, in Milan, and we, we have now offices in uh, in Madrid, London, uh, Zurich, we have just acquired JudoPay, that is the mobile payments company in London. So our idea is to expand Europe, bringing this kind of model. How a platform could really create and combine services in order to embed financial services into customer journey. And this money are, of course, to support the organic growth. That's very important. We invest around 20 million per year in our platform software. So it, it, it's a lot for, for, for our sides. Uh, it's also important to for the go-to-market. And uh, we are expanding this kind of partnership with Mastercard because we want to cover the end-to-end value chain of payments. Not, not only the platform part, not only the digital part, but also the issuing part, also the acquiring part. We want to really cover all the aspects that could help a large corporation, retail brands, this kind of players that operate in many countries, to cover any pieces of the B2B, 2C, end-to-end value chain. And of course, MasterCard is a great partner in order to support all the pieces of the, the value chain. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great from a distribution perspective, right? You're, Absolutely. Uh, you're bringing something new to the market and partnering with a gigantic organization to take it to market is very, very helpful, isn't it, in terms of uh, product and distribution. But but I, I guess, as you say, the, the embedded part of that is, is pretty complex, isn't it? You know, this isn't a... Um, a more traditional way of well, people come to your platform to do these things. So, uh, and and actually, uh, I guess Jimmy, this sort of touches on your world as well, right? The the complexity of embedded finance more broadly kind of makes your job a, a little bit more complicated as well, doesn't it? So, I mean, is that something that you see that mix of you know traditional companies like a Mastercard and and you bringing innovative plays to it? I mean, it's a pretty good match, isn't it? Well, the idea is to. Uh, think about partners as a third party. So we consider big players like MasterCard, but also small fintechs. We have a, a community in Milan of more than 260 fintechs we work with. So we consider these players as a partners and we want to embed their APIs, their services on top of our platform. Then we orchestrate them in order to create the best solution for the final customer. So for example, for a big, for probably the biggest insurance company in Italy, we created the acceptance layer in order to accept payments from the final consumers. But using a third party, we also created digital lending features in order to support them for credit insurance, how to support the credit at the moment of the, of the purchase of the, the policies in that case. So it's very important to have 
all based on APIs and microservices in order to support the final customer. Yeah. Not very traditional because we, in reality, wrap everything in the same platform. Mm. Working with MasterCard based in Milan, I presume they got you Champions League tickets as well, did they? Or <laughs> no? no what, do, what do you think? I mean, there's in, interesting times, isn't it, with embedded finance more broadly? And actually, as you say, sort of moving further and further away from the maybe the safety of the uh, interesting challenges for companies like you as well, right? Yeah, um, I think what Paolo mentions around um, the the theme here is around where tech's going. It's around interoperability. It's around ultimately end customer, whether it's a McDonald's, whether it's a, you know, Alitalia, doesn't really care, you know, in terms of like, you know, how the, the stack is put together in sequence. What they do care about is the solution, right? And whether that's most likely provided by small 10-man op, that can go and innovate on a very specific niche service around microcredit and having, say, data sources that allow them to assess Gen Z kind of new consumers better than anybody else doesn't really matter. Um, what what uh, I guess and the, the end customer cares about is someone to put it all together so they get end-to-end view. And what they ultimately want is, you know, onboard better quality customers, faster, quicker, safer, without any risk. Um, and uh, that's kind of thematically where it's going. So microservices, that's that's totally our theme as well. Uh, we, we see it as if you're not building for discrete API usage and playing nicely yeah. uh, with other tech stacks, then um, yeah, that's going against the grain there. So so we're fans of what Fabric and Paolo and the team are kind of you know saying. I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you you mentioned um, we're going to get way off piste here, but you know. What are they going to do? Like, go kick us out, Rachel? Um, but, uh, you know, it, you talk about orchestration of services. I mean, that's a, that breaks down some quite interesting fundamentals of how, you know, big organizations procure things like they're procuring them for the rest of their lives, you know, like, so having a orchestration engine that can quickly switch things out and in through that standard patterns of uh, either APIs or services in, in one form or another. I mean, that's a, that's a head fuck for, for, you know, procurement departments of big banks in that sense. But, um, but I, I mean, I think that's the direction of travel for everything. As you say, though, if yeah. you can create those standard patterns, that's a, that's a really big deal. Uh, and then it becomes almost, you know, you've got a skeletal system of your organization and a core banking system, but everything else is kind of up for grabs. And I mean, it means you are constantly relevant to your customers as well, because you're always integrating the best and the brightest, right? Yeah. Uh- I think it's very important the the shift that we are seeing from outsourcing capabilities to orchestrate internal capabilities. And you can do it with your components and external components. And big, big companies are doing it internally on your own, but mid to large companies doing it with partners. So they need orchestrators. Yeah. Katrina, what, what do you think on this? I mean, embedded finance, uh, you know, the, the sort of opening up of these services to be, you know, if you can take the solution to where the problem is, it, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It most definitely makes sense. And actually, from an episode six perspective, we're seeing it from the reverse angle. If you like, we're working with the banks who are obviously enabling their services to all of these third party companies. But what's really super important for them is to have the ability to have a multi-tenancy environment whereby one size does not fit all, but they can actually configure, differentiate between not only the different companies, but also between the customers of those companies. So we're definitely working extensively with our issuer banking uh, companies and customers to facilitate this and yeah hats off to you paolo and congrats on the on the raise yeah i mean it's interesting for uh, for fintech but for gigantic banks as well you know 70 odd country banks i mean uh, standard chartered came out this morning saying they're gonna shave a billion off their costs and it's like wow like that's not going to be the hundred people you're talking about in hong kong that's like that's a lot of technology debt you're going to have to solve. But that means using these things across geos becomes way more important, doesn't it? Uh, and it's the only way that they can really get that cost off their balance sheet, isn't it? Absolutely. But as well as removing the cost from their balance sheet, they're also increasing their revenue share because, you know, ultimately this is leading to customer stickiness, uh, you know, new customer acquisition. So it's a win-win all round, I believe. 
All right. Uh, well, congratulations on the raise. I look forward to seeing, and uh, well, I look forward to you celebrating at the Champions League final as well. Like, uh, if you're if you're not there in Turkey, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> All right. Uh, so next up, we had a story that was covered a, a, a bunch of different places. Uh, we picked it up on on Finextra, but uh, Lucinity unveils generative AI powered financial crime compliance copilot. So this is. Iceland-based Lucinity has launched a generative AI-powered co-pilot designed to boost the productivity of financial crime compliance teams. The firm's new co-pilot, called Lucy, fair enough, helps render complex data into the understandable insights in real time so compliance teams can streamline their work, reduce time spent on decision-making, and increase the overall efficiencies of what they're trying to do. Um, I mean... There's a lot of people talking about generative AI. In, I mean, it's like, is it like, is it this year's way to try and get investors to invest in the thing that you're doing? Or is it, uh, is it, are they seriously using it? Do you, what do you think, Jimmy? Is this a, is this a real thing or is it just VCs are going to like it? Yeah. Mm, I remember seeing a, a stat that uh, it's the thing to add into your pitch deck, right? When you're fundraising, you've got to have AI. Yeah. 98% of pitch decks right now and 23 at this point in time have AI in some form or other. Well, it was it was blockchain, wasn't it? And then slowly it's transitioned to like the next sexy thing, basically. Sure yeah. thing. Yeah, sure thing. So it's, If it um, works, like we shouldn't knock it that much, right? If it works and you get the funding, yeah, fine. Well, well there's, definitely, there's definitely two interesting things here. I think um, for, first up with um, the Lucinity team to GK and, you know, the rest of the team there, um, kudos and hats off. I think it's right on point. It was a big announcement at this 2020, was that? And and it's really kind of, the to to us in the fraud fighting world, it's the most logical use of GAI into kind of helping. And, and what I mean by that in layman's terms is taking unbelievably complex data and making it understandable by a fellow human that has to deal with this stuff. That's really what it does. And so like hats off, kick ass, like that's the, the good use of it. But the second interesting thing from this is AI in, in at least our world of fin crime, you know, financial fraud and fraud fighting uh, is it, like that. That's a 20 year old uh, kind of, you know, concept. That's something that that's exactly what happened 20 years ago when e-com first took off when card not present took off. There were neural nets created, it evolved into scoring engines, it evolved into um, kind of uh, almost like a Lucy, kind of a help, a helpful buddy that looks at data and suggests to human intelligence, here's what you should look at. So it's very on point, it's, but it's, it's been a long history to get to this point. It's not suddenly sprang out. It's something that, you know, data science teams on our customer's end, on our end, have been working on for a decent amount of time. So yeah, I mean, it's buzzy, it, but shouldn't be buzzy. Well, that's the thing we've, we've had a decade of getting our fingers burnt by, I mean, the paperclip in Microsoft Office and then like Siri and, you know, and and it's almost like the um, the technology is sort of catching up with sci-fi a little bit here to a certain degree, isn't it? But I mean, obviously we've seen players like Stripe do some of the things, haven't they, in terms of making it accessible to people. And that that makes a great deal of sense, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, not just being in a, well, it's written this way, therefore you understand it, but breaking it down for, and allowing you to interrogate it in the way that you you would want to. But But I guess when it comes to AI, this is probably the problem with it from a topic perspective more broadly, isn't it? Is that it's it's such an umbrella term for like a million different things, whether it's, you know, very, very narrow use cases like this or, you know, m much more broad machine learning for, which is used obviously very extensively for risk and fraud and everything along the pieces. But, um, but I don't know, um, is this a, is this the step, you know, for if directionally we're trying to get to, you know, self-driving money and, uh, you know, algorithms making people better off than a really fancy FAQ. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not. Sure. What, what, what do you think? Is this a, is this a step forward or? Look, I'm being if, really cynical. I think I'm just tired. Like, I, uh, I, I'm going to add to the cynicism. I think today, Rishi Sunak, our prime minister, has gone to see Biden to talk about AI. So it's on everybody's uh, agenda, uh, indeed. But and they are definitely the right people to talk about AI. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Can, can you imagine being in that room? Be, it's going to be a great conversation, right? <laughs> Isn't it, Jess? Yeah. But look, from a, a payments perspective, um, we've seen AI around for many, many years. So it's just not a new topic. And I think a lot of these new innovations, when when they're presented to you as an innovation years later, you're like, but hang on a minute, I've been doing that forever. So certainly in the AI space, we've been working with um, great companies like Sion, although not with Sion specifically today, but with FeatureSpace and FeedSci, who are actually, you know, using machine learning, which is a, a version of AI, to actually ensure that 
the fraudsters aren't getting away with the consumer's money. And certainly in our card-based environment, that's really super important. Mm. And that's where it really affects companies like us because we can then work with our banking clients to ensure that they're protecting their customers' money. Yeah. And, and the EU, um, you know, for, for all uh, the, the kind of good they do with regulation, um, one side that they have pushed on is around the move from uh, unexplainable version of AI to an explainable version. I think this is what the kind of the kind of lucidity announcement really harks to right now is the fact that you can actually understand what that very clever algo is actually doing. And yeah. I think that's a good shift. I think it's been demanded mm. from the EU and it, it, and it and the layman's you know example is you know my granny when she calls in and she's been declined from a certain you know online transaction she actually gets like a real response from the call center i think those are good things so that's that's good rather than you know the the computer says no kind of uh, you know silly thing um so i think this falls into that theme but yeah there's been a long history of it moving this way it seems very buzzy just now um uh, but for certain industries it's been the case for a long time yeah i think the the sort of thing around you know generative ai for interrogation of information is you need to know what to ask to get the answer that you need and mm. actually that's an interesting point particularly when we start getting to anything that's using it for for bigger uh bigger use cases around people's actual financial lives is like most people don't want to do this and most people don't know what to ask so it's like what is my balance? And it's like, well, is that really taking us forward or not? But uh, but as it expands, I think that's the thing. I, I mean, I really believe in a, I believe in a world. This is like getting really deep now, but I believe in a world where we get to a point where it's the responsibility of the organizations to make their customers better off, which makes me sound like some sort of crazy tech hippie, but it's like, that's what we should be aiming for. Whereas actually, and in that's in like basic terms around, if you can see I have savings, please don't let me go in my overdraft. You know, it just seems basic, but uh, it's not technology that's stopping that happen. It's business model, right? So, uh, but uh, but anyway, I'll get off my hippie bandwagon. And, but <laughs> AI, I mean, you, Paolo, you can't walk around the conference without seeing lots of people investing in lots of different use cases for this. I mean, how big an impact do you think it'll have on what you guys do or or the industry more broadly? Well, I think a lot. I think, as uh, Catherine said, there is, we have seen it for years around. Uh, but usually, I think there is a very big shift from the technology in itself and the use of the technology. That are very different things. Sure. Now we can have modules or places like fintechs that can provide as a service to other the use of AI. So that's incredible shift. We have some companies, some small fintechs that provide, for example, fast scoring in a very new way as a service to others. So far, we have had inter within the bank, within the bank, the possibility to manage this kind of algorithms, but in no other no, no other place. So just within the bank. So yeah. now we can use it in in the insurance company for fast scoring. We we can in the utilities to analyze the billing engine for uh, consumers and so on. So there is the really possibility to use AI progressively and modularly in the market. That's the big shift. And then we'll see this acceleration year by year. And the investment of the VC at the early stage, but also to in, into company a little big, uh, bigger uh, are in that direction. So we will see in three years to me companies dedicated to that. Not only in direct tech. Direct tech, of course, is, is, is very, very important. In the platform, in payments, in the smart routing, in fraud prevention, mm -hmm. in any kind of things that you can do online, for example. It's very, very important to have these uh, machine learning capabilities that could improve a lot. Yeah. Are you guys using like generative AI in your personal lives? If that's not too much of a personal question, are you using like chat GPT for anything particular or? Um, we have uh, certain team members that use that uh, for, for sure. Um, it's embedded in a lot of um, our go to market stack as well. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, a lot of our services use uh, use that. So, so we do see it. it, it does I wasn't appear... trying to give you a secret away. I mean, more like in your personal <laughs> life. Like, I mean, oh. I, I, I use it for my... Uh, uh, I mean, like writing bedtime stories for my seven-year-old or my 11-year-old. You know, I mean, it's like really interesting to do those things. But, uh, but yeah, don't give away your, don't give, give away your company <laughs> secrets. But uh, are you using it in your personal life much? Not, not at all, actually. Uh, but I was so impressed with 
chat GTP. My son showed it to me. You know, again, I think it's the potentially the younger generation that are going to grow up with this. Like we grew up with, uh, I don't know, typewriters in my era anyway, you know. Um, so no, I'm not using it at all. Although I'm a, a big fan of it, I can see great use for it. Um, so for the right roles, uh, certainly I was talking to a journalist the other day and they said that they find it a very useful tool for getting background on information. But of course, I think fundamentally we have to interpret is the data that's being presented back to us valid and, yeah. and real? And, and that's the risk that we run. So I think really you know, not from a personal perspective, but from a, a general perspective, I think there needs to be some regulation around this so that we can protect I mean, ourselves from false data, fake news and all that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the uh, bots firing text messages at, at you or emails at you, making them on the fly, responding to the things you say. Do you know what? I used it the other day to get out of a car parking fine because I wrote, a, I asked it to write a letter as a solicitor to it. That's brilliant. Got away with it. Brilliant. You know, we're all going to be doing that now. Don't I know, you? right? Thank it was you. good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks I mean, for the tip. It was, uh, it was much less smiley faced and emoji laden than most of my emails, which might have been the <laughs> giveaway. But uh, all right. On that note, we're going to take a bit of a quick break. We'll be back with you shortly. Hello and welcome, LFG people, to Fintech Insider, Blockchain Insider, 11FS Spotlight, 11FS Explores, Open Mic Nights, After Dark. <laughs> Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. Welcome back. Uh, before we get on with the second half of the news show, a quick note to go and check out the latest episode of Fintech Insider Insights Show. How do you make back office payments processes sexy? I mean, that's an interesting topic in itself, isn't it? Uh, that's the question I was exploring with guests from GoCardless, Wise, and Stripe. It can often all be about the beautiful front end and that's okay. But what about all of the back-end processes that make the whole thing work in the first place? Does the industry need to promote that more? Go check out the podcast wherever you got this one. Right, let's get back on with the news. So this is something that was picked up. Uh, we got this from City AM, but actually I saw it in a bunch of other places as well. UK's newest bank, Griffin, secures 11 million in funding round as it plots expansion. So Griffin, the UK's newest bank, has gathered 11 million in its fundraising round just a few months after it secured its banking license. The funding round was led by venture capital firms Mass Mutual Ventures with existing investors Seed Capital, sorry, Seed Camp, EQT Ventures also participating in the fundraise. Griffin said that the funds will go towards leaving the mobilization period where it operates with a banking license, but under the restrictions as well. Uh, it will also support its commercial activities and further expansion into banking as a service platform that they're, they're building out as well. Uh, we managed to catch up with Griffin's CCO, Adam Molson, as part of the upcoming recording of our Spotlight video podcast as well. So here's what he had to say. So we got the banking license three months ago. We announced a funding round this morning. It was actually closed a while ago, but even like the funding round, it's not a huge amount of money, but it's more than enough for what we need to do. So the next uh, sort of seven to nine months, we're already working with a select number of customers. Um, those customers are going to be working with us over this time to implement some of our first products. And the first products are going to solve some really important use cases that are like pretty pervasive throughout the industry. And so, yeah, we're not trying to get lots and lots of projects and work with lots and lots of customers. Um, but towards the end of this year, we'll be announcing some of those with case studies and logos and problems and being like really, really pragmatic about what we're doing. Very cool. Uh, I mean, again, isn't it weird? Like what, 10 years ago, can you imagine like an, an announcement about a new banking license would be like a front page of the FT, but uh, uh, with everything else, I mean, the amount of licenses that have gone out and the changes that we've seen, it's just, it's just amazing to see, like, again, there's more competition coming into the market. What do you think? Yeah. And what, what I like about Adam's statement is <clears throat> he's actually very, um, 
yeah, sensible about what that funds will be used for as well, right? It's a Series A. We moved away from the 18-month like point of where announcements were, like humongous rounds. And he's been very sensible. The, the first stage is really to prove you know, the, the beginnings of proof of value for what their use cases are. And he's been very focused. Very, you know, I think 18 months ago, it was very normal to raise a, you know, kind of a 20, 30, 40 Series A and say, hey, uh, we're, we're going to be, you know, doing everything. Mm. That's, that's the reality. And I think what Adam's really um, is right on point in this time uh, with being focused, with uh, using it sensibly. But again, um, you know, that I think the Griffin story falls into the, the kind of growth of embedded finance. Um, you know, things are open, things are um, about working nicely with other stacks. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, you know, a good reinforcement for Griffin there. Yeah, and increasingly sharing and lending licensing with other organizations as well. And, and obviously, the I mean, we've seen this with, with different people in different regards, whether it's banking licenses or whether it's payments licenses or uh, e-money licenses in various different ways, right? But I mean, obviously with that comes a lot of, uh, I mean, it's not trust like, well, go on, I'll trust you to just deal with it nicely. But all of the the regulation that goes with that, that that's not to be underestimated, is it? That's a that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and to me, I always think about hey, if you're an innovative service, then, um, you know, being able to leverage like Paolo's uh, team on, on the infra and regulation and compliance that they've just went through, like Adam's team over at Griffin, um, that's massive because what you want to do is actually probably not that side. It's probably some some really cool feature that really you know wows that next gen of consumers. Uh, whether it's a younger gen, uh, it's, it's teen markets trying to help them learn about financial literacy. That's the mission. It's not to be regulated by the FCA. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Nobody nobody wakes up in the morning and be like, oh, I need some more regulation on me. But uh, yeah. uh, as much as we love the FCA, uh, I mean, there's a whole. Push. I mean, we've been saying this for a few years, but the B2B space is way more sexy than the B2C space, really. And then, you know, fundamentally, as we've talked about, that's the that's the fabric of, of the underpinning of the financial services, right? So, I mean, this is a good shift for all round, really, isn't it? Most definitely. It's extending our capabilities and our reach um, and offering great services to the B2Bs so that they can then in turn off to the Cs thereafter. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of interest in this area, not least from um, gaming companies, you know, uh, travel industry, all sorts of different areas of the business that are now looking to extend their their payment capabilities. So it's very exciting for us. Yeah, I guess uh, from your perspective as well, you know, the more people coming in and disrupting the market in more geos and and offering different types of services out there, then it, it it's uh, it's interesting. FinTech initially was such a, a scary thing to the big traditional banks, but really the the big incumbent service providers, the technology providers are really the, the the biggest people who are being disrupted in that space now, isn't it? And that, I mean, that's a, that's a whole, that's a whole nother show of an hour we could do on that one. But, uh, but it's a, it's really interesting as a, you know, a, a vendor in this landscape that the landscape is shifting so dramatically, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that there is a very big shift is in, in, in the way you provide your services. That, that's, that, that's the big shift. Also in the big vendors in core banking, for example, that are moving to banking as a service without or with the license, because at the end, enabling others to provide banking as a service is a very good thing now. And again, the modularity is the most important things. We, for example, provide Payment, uh, payment institutional license as a service for too many fintechs or corporate that want to provide payment services without being regulated, of course. But when they need a fuel bank license, we work with others for banking as a service. So we integrate banks to provide banking as a service. For example, BBVA in Italy, they enter in Italy to provide a fuel uh, digital bank without having, having the license in Italy. So we provide banking as a service in collaboration with another bank. So that's the combination, the modularity that I'm speaking about. And in the future, also the big, big player, the big incumbent has to change and introduce flexibility in the way they provide services. Yeah. It's natural for us. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, the customer doesn't care. Do they? they want the... I mean, when we've built things at 11FS, bizarrely, we ended up using somebody else's license other than one of the big incumbent banks' licenses because it was just the quickest way to to find out if customers actually cared about the thing we were building or not. And and then you you sort of move back from there, don't you? But that that's the that's the amazing thing. Again, I feel like I'm reminiscing about you know early days in my career, but it was like 
the vendor landscape, or even when I was at Gartner, the vendor landscape is so broader now. The the Lego blocks we've got to build amazing things for customers is so much more competitive, so much more varied. And and ultimately that's leading to much better outcomes for consumers, isn't it? And and really, you know, the old uh, you know, nobody gets fired for IBM or yep. other vendors insert here, no offense, uh, is gone, isn't it? Because the choice is so great. And and with, you know, the uh, orchestration capability, then if it ain't working, there's 5,000 other vendors that can make it work. So, I mean, I feel more excited now about the market than ever really before. You've got a, a whole palette to play with, haven't you? Well, just to comment that, I think that the consumers, the customer, they need the very simple, immediate, convenient services and at the very point and moment they they really need it so at the end we really don't care about who provides the service how you combine the service but it's important that is within the customer journey within the touch point that you really touch so it's completely different from from the past and one single big vendor I think is not is no more no longer able to provide this kind of experience. Yeah. No longer. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge, isn't it? I guess the the issue that people get into, again, I think we could sidebar on then for the next hour on this. Let's do it. Let's see what uh, producer Laura will start waving at me through the glass very shortly. But uh, but but almost the the ability, as you say, uh big incumbent organizations, and I'm I'm sure you guys have faced this with uh, with episode six is want certainty or just want to procure things in the way that they've procured things before. But actually, if you want the best, it's not going to have, you know, 5,000 clients on it at the first year that they've done it. It's going to be a different thing. Uh, but that, I think, is in actually a really interesting opportunity for for people like SAP or people like Oracle or people like to really be forced into innovating in the way that the retail banks were forced into innovating because the Monzos and Starlings and everybody came along. So, but ultimately I, I, you know, the mashup of all of that in the middle, consumers at the end of it benefit, don't they? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I think there is an element very, very important. That is the flexibility because in reality, the demand is changing day by day. Yeah. So also a big player that usually you use it to customize the service with the long system integration project. You cannot do it at that fast. So <laughs> that, that's, that's the point. Yeah. Bizarrely, one of my first jobs was uh, implementing SAP R3. That was a um, summer job that uh, of a summer that I will never get back. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, what do you think? Oh, this is so exciting. Um, what we're seeing is indeed that the the big organizations, the banks are, are nervous, you know, they're risk adverse. But ultimately, um, what they're finding is that they cannot provide those products and services to their clients with the legacy infrastructure that they've got today. So it is a leap of faith. And, and that leap of that first leap of faith comes with some of these partnerships that we've been talking about today, not least the likes of Visa and MasterCard, who um, well, in fact, MasterCard invested in episode six. So thank you for that. Mm. But, you know, it's those endorsements that actually give the banks the opportunity to say, okay, there's a, there's a good company there that somebody else has trusted in. Um, and then when they dip their toe in the water and it's about having products and capabilities that you can try with the banks so that they can see that they're delivering benefits to their end customers quickly. Um, once they've do, done that, we, we're finding that we're able to work with them progressively to modernize their existing infrastructure to deliver more and more value to their end customers. So it, it's a story that's really evolving for us and it's def, definitely happening. We're excited by it. Mm. Do, you, do you think that's a, um, I mean, it's a maturing of the market to a certain degree, isn't it? I mean, I uh, I, I guess as an open question to all, all of you guys, actually, how many IT departments, when you've spoken to a, a big banking organization, has gone, yeah, I could build that? Like, uh, And actually, is it now a maturing of the market where they're like, we don't need to be good at that. Like, we work with you guys because you guys are great at that thing. We need to be good at this thing over here, you know, and whether that's the customer service part or or whatever. But but it's an interesting sort of evolutionary step, we're, I guess we're seeing. Yeah, I think evolution is the right word for it. Um, you know, we're very conscious. Uh, uh, we're in startup land, and so it's it's about being stage dependent. And there's they're very much what you're hinting at, David. There's a dynamic with organisations once they get to a, a certain amazing brand. Um, then things like being able to innovate is important. <laughs> but where does most of the revenue come from? Yeah. 
And all all of these, you know, amazing brands have innovation teams. They're, you know, the schemes are so cash generative. Of course, they have humongous innovation teams and it makes sense to uh, make strategic investments and to understand from, you know, episode six, what's going on. And, you know, best cases, they can start applying that to some of their customer base. There's definitely threat of, um, you know, you know, essentially losing out to kind of new players, but you know, they, 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 most of the rev does come from where their business comes from there. And yeah. So yeah, for, for us, um, we, we, we love it because we spend all our time with anyone that isn't kind of that tier one uh, down, uh, but that's a big old world, right? And those are the teams that sit somewhere in between that kind of recognize, wait a minute, we don't build this ourselves. Uh, we have the capability to hook up a microservice and get up and running because what they really care about is getting up and running fast yeah. versus say engineering hours on their own roadmap there. Um, so there's absolutely that dynamic. It feels like, um, uh, and again, Laura's not waving at me just yet, so I'm going to keep going on this one for now. Oh no, she's nodding. I'm, I'm going to have to move on. But it's, I feel like cloud has been the thing that's driven that, particularly in the big FIs, because they moved away from, okay, where am I putting my building to put my service to realizing that actually services can be procured to solve these things. And it's, it's kind of spiraled from there, but um, we'll get everybody back on to talk about that more. Eh? All right. Uh, the next story that we had was um, Dutch FinTech clearly raises 2.1 million euros and officially launches its payments app in the Netherlands. Uh, an Amsterdam-based payments app aimed at SMEs has raised 2.1 million euros in its pre-seed funding and has officially launched its app in the Netherlands. The app allows SMEs to receive payments directly on their phones without the use of any separate terminal. Already in circulation via pilot with taxi drivers in Amsterdam. I'll be looking out for that uh, on the way back to the airport later on. The app has also grown in popularity with restaurants, canal cruisers, and various other industries in Amsterdam. That sounds like I was making some sort of allusion to something I wasn't just going to move on. Uh, the fintech startup is also now the preferred partner for all of the major taxi companies in the Netherlands, including the international operator Bolt. Uh, to hear more about this, we managed to catch up with Sam Cook, uh, clearly CEO and co-founder, to find out uh, how he sees the product developing and whether we could see a tap-to-pay solutions taking off more broadly in Europe. We see a lot of players, especially traditional terminal players, they just do a one-off transaction and the payment's completed. Where we, as we do tap to pay, as we leverage the mobile device that they have, that's pretty much a small computer in your pocket, the full capabilities is that we give a lot of added value to the merchants and make specific things for that. So in the taxi industry, we're in the future looking to even make the payment process better for these taxi drivers' consumers, but also give back data insights to the taxi drivers of, for example, if they have a fleet, how their fleet is performing, which drivers are generating more revenue, which um, cars are in general more popular for the consumers, all this stuff. So taking the data behind the payments, giving it to the merchants for them to make better business decisions. Recently, you saw that Apple is also going to support it. At this point, it's limited to Android. So historically, we've seen that Google Pay wasn't so popular till Apple Pay so I think something similar will happen there. And we're very glad that Apple um, is partnering with fintechs to make this actually possible. So yes, I think it's going to take off. I think for the SMB merch, it's going to be very interesting to have this as always being able to take payments everywhere in the past and maybe taking cash only. Um, and also for bigger businesses to have it, besides traditional terminal, if it's very busy, to have an extra terminal that you can just take out of your pocket and take payments. Very, very cool. I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, taxis have been disrupted with Uber and things and payments just, you know, just disappearing in that space. But is this sort of traditional taxis opportunity to you know, really remove some of that friction and get back into it? What do you think? Yeah, uh, are, are they using you guys, Paolo, by the way? <laughs> well, uh, I think it's very interesting because of the... Uh, it's similar to what is happening in, in many areas. Now, when you create something that use data, then make easier and easier, in that case, the payment acceptance without any kind of device. But the most important things, again, is how to use data for all, not just for one taxi driver. Yeah. So that's important. That's the Uber experience. So at the end, you can really understand the customers, uh, the trails, the, the car that they use, and so on. At the end, the behavior. 
So that's very important. And again, bring us to, to the concept of orchestration, because if you have data, if you have transaction, you can orchestrate them and you can really use it in, in the best way that you can. Uh, and I think there is also a very important trend that is the, the software acceptance of payments. So the soft POS that is becoming very trendy uh, will really disrupt all the industries of the acceptance, uh, payment acceptance uh, in the future. So that sort of convergence of more and more devices, so not needing to have a, you know, a, a little pause thing, but actually just yeah. having all of that built into your smartphone that everybody carries around. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's benefits to that, I guess, in, in you know, maybe potentially some concerns from consumers as well is like, uh, I feel very protective over my phone, like uh, getting getting people too close to it. Not because, again, I feel like everything I say, there's some sort of uh, weird ul ulterior thing to it, but um, not because there's anything weird on it, but just it's personal. So do you think there's a, a barrier that's there with that? Or do you think because of the prevalence of No, you know, I, I, I personally don't think so, because at the end, uh, uh, we are accustomed to tap now, to tap sure. the phone. So we don't think. Uh, we don't care, we just tap. So at the end, it will become very natural. And of course, if you have advantages, like make this kind of action invisible, something very, very easy, at the end, you don't care. So I, I don't think I'm it will be that. a problem. Yeah, but there that. is something un under, of course, that you have to be very concerned and to manage very well. But in terms of behavior, I don't think. I don't think. Okay. Yeah, when you weigh up the convenience factor, right? And that's what it is. It's a convenience factor versus what you said, David, of Absolutely. like concerns about, hey, I'm going to think about this a little bit carefully. What's happening to that pie data? What if that taxi cab driver is, uh, you know, somehow recording my pan somehow? Um, but against, you know, convenience, all day long convenience wins. And now we're habitual, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, my example of that is always airport Wi-Fi. It's like <laughs> every questionnaire you ever sort of read, it's like people just don't like sharing data. And then it's like, you're going to give me free Wi-Fi, like have like every bit of PII yeah. you could possibly ever want, you know. But uh, I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Obviously, you guys, uh, episode six, were really heavily involved in the uh, PayMe app, which a big part of that over in Hong Kong was about, you know, being together and doing these things there. I mean, customer behavior drives everything then, doesn't it? Most definitely. Look, I think we're at a moment where this type of technology is going to become ubiquitous. And we're going to say we were there when it, when it, kicked off but if you know let, let's look back to the days and I'll get to pay me in a moment but let's look back to the days when you know you were in a restaurant and the waiter took your your card off you and took it to the back of the shop to actually you know put it through the device uh, those days of course are long long gone but we can remember them and there's a and lot of people listening to this in America going they still do that <laughs> it's really weird why do they do that like everything we've been sort of coached to not allow to happen still happens there it's quite bizarre so. it really is and then right through to the you know the mobile point of sale devices which again we thought were so revolutionary and indeed they were but it had to move to this next stage and we are all attached to our mobile phones mm. whether we like it or not and we see with our kids you know it's just an everyday part of their their lives as well but if we look at what's happening in hong kong Again, I'm so surprised that this isn't happening in more places. Um, so in Hong Kong with HSBC Pay Me, 90% um, of the population are using this app and episode six is technology to actually enable peer-to-peer -peer payments and also a closed loop person to merchant payments. It actually was driven out of a desire to stop a competitive knockout from Alipay and WeChat Pay. And HSB herald this as one of their greatest innovations. But again, let's look in Spain with Bizum. This is an everyday occurrence. So it's us in certain countries that are not used to this everyday occurrence. Mm. But I, I really feel that this is the next the next point that we're all going to get to. Yeah, and even the, I mean, the gaps in the market that customers desire to be filled, you know, um, uh, uh, flats in Hong Kong are roughly the size of this table, you know, like, so everybody <laughs> eats out, so splitting bills is a big thing, but, or in, you know, Venmo over in the US, right, you know, faster payments is difficult, so, you know, paying your buddy back $20 for whatever, it's it's necessity, isn't it? So Indeed. But it's, it's fascinating, it's, it's definitely going to be the, direction of travel more broadly, but I think we're sort of rapidly running out of time. So we better better get into the end of the show. Before we get going, I mean, obviously we're, we're here in Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Um, 
what's been your highlight? What's the what's been the thing? You, I mean, don't say the parties. The parties have been good. Uh, <laughs> the free snacks and food have been really delightful as well. But uh, what what have you enjoyed most? Um, man, uh, I, th I think it's the classic uh, concentration of the right people in the right place, right? I think from uh, it's yeah, on one hand it's mega knackering, uh, but the other side it's uh, super productive. At least you know for for us, we're we're still early stage Series B. Um, so, you know, just having a concentration of right people right here uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you think it's like some sort of like concentration risk from an industry perspective, though? Getting all of these, getting all these CEOs of really great fintechs and like, you know, do you know what I mean? All this in the same place at the same time, I feel. Well, um, it was kind of mentioned, um, I think, via another, another uh, uh, media outlet that, uh, you know, most of the startup founders were not necessarily even here in the halls here but they were dotted in Amsterdam. And so for us, that's great. Our, our customers are fast growing scale ups. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've been biking around Amsterdam and it's been awesome. The weather's been kick-ass for that. That's that's your excuse and you're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think, what's been your highlight? <clears throat> so for us, there've been um, one particular highlight, which is this is the first year that we've actually had a stand at Money 2020. So I've been coming now with episode six for three years and Again, the quality of people passing through our stand or with meetings that we've arranged in advance has been absolutely awesome, to use an American term. But from a personal perspective, I'm also so delighted that being relatively challenged in the height department, I didn't get my head taken off on one of those barges that we went on last night, but it was a near thing. And I've, I've been feeling really tiny, a lot of Dutch people who are like <laughs> eight feet tall, like it's, uh, but uh, did, uh, you've all managed to not be killed by a, a cyclist as well, which is uh, quite, a, quite a feat. But uh, what's been the highlight for you? Is it, uh, I mean, your announcement's probably got to be up there somewhere, but. Uh, well, beyond our announcement, I think, uh, 20 high-level meetings per day that you usually spend six months to do at the same level, okay? That's very, very important. And also some very special occasion. Yesterday, I spent two hours in a boat with 15 founders, a little bit drunk. But anyway, it was a great night, so. It's <laughs> the stuff that memories are made of right there, yeah. isn't it? So, uh, all right. Uh, what, how, about the, how about the low light? What's been the, other than the tiredness, the lots of walking, anything, any low lights? I think my, my main low light has been, it's been really sunny and I've been in, indoors for three days. So that's been my <laughs> slight depression. But uh, other than that, it's been a wonderful event. All right, we better wrap up then. What, um, what we'll do, I mean, where can people learn a little bit more about you? Where can people learn a little bit more about your companies? Start with you. Yeah, um, so we've tried to make uh, our domain, sayon.io, completely front-facing. So unlike in our category, you can see everything, right? You can see our public API reference, see our pricing, you can board in 30 seconds, you can get some help on uh, the fraud fighting side uh, that quickly. And we believe in that wholeheartedly. Very, very cool. And we've just launched a new website at episode6.com. We're really excited to share our new branding. So please take a look at us there. And we're here at uh, the Money 2020 at stand B42. Very good. Alec? Well, as I said, we just acquired JudoPay, so we want to launch embedded financing in the UK together. Very cool. And where can people learn a little bit more about your company? Well, we, again, we, we, we provide open finance, so we tend to really uh, concretely bring financial services when they are needed, so in the customer journey. Very cool. All right. As for me, you can find me lurking predominantly over on LinkedIn uh, these days, which is a lot of good fun, I have to say. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to join the conversation, you can find us on every social media channel at this stage. Uh, or if you really want to, you can email us on podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.